0: And welcome to the Graveyard Show podcast, Voices from the Grave. I am your caretaker, and this is the year-end show, which I will be devoting to outtakes from this year's interviews that did not make it on their respective shows. On this podcast, you will be hearing from Benjamin Lewis, the director and producer of Stoker Hills, David Weiner, the writer and director of In Search of Tomorrow, Brendan Muldowney, the writer and director of The Cellar, Chris Sivertson, director of Monstrous, Fernando Gonzalez-Gomez, the co-director of The Passenger, and Addison Hyman, the writer and director of Hypochondriac. Now, I'm going to start with a frequent guest of this program, David Weiner, the writer and director of In Search of Tomorrow. In this first outtake, I asked him about movie soundtracks. I'm wondering, though, um, if you are yourself a big fan of soundtracks, because this is the second movie now you've done where... um, you featured soundtracks uh you did the same i believe it was in search of darkness two no it was a search of the search darkness, of darkness one yes yeah. mm-hmm. um so uh how 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 much of a fanboy are you for uh soundtracks
1: well i think i think you kind of answered your question by asking the question because uh I, I, it, it's such a crucial element that i i make a point of of spotlighting how important music and sound design uh, and just anything that you're listening to in a film enhances the story. Uh, and it shouldn't be glossed over and it shouldn't be just dismissed as something, oh, yeah, it's a part of it. It's uh, incredibly important. And I was huge on on soundtracks. Well, again, it goes back to Star Wars, you know, I had that Star Wars soundtrack. I remember I for some reason, I got that Star Wars soundtrack before I saw Star Wars. My dad got it for me. And I remember I put that on and I had this embarrassed, weird smile on my face from the opening you know, the opening notes of, of John Williams' masterful score. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm being transported and I don't even know where I'm going. But I'd see these pictures in the album and I would sit there and just imagine what that world was like based on the photos in the album. Uh, And that set me on the course of of really appreciating how important music is in movies, even as a kid. Uh, And so whenever I'd watch a movie, I was always listening to the score. I was always comparing it to the ones that I really loved and always wondering, am I going to buy this album or not? (laughs) Every single movie, I just said, is there enough here that I could buy this and listen to it over and over and over again? and, And it can't be... Uh, it, it can't be understated how much how important it is to just listen to music and and be transported back to the movie that you love. In another, it's it's yet another tool, like the magazines we talked about, like the novels, yeah. like the toys, like the marketing, all those things. It's just one more element to transport you back to and and, and own a piece of you know the movie that made such an impact on you.
0: We also talked about the Star Trek films, and I recalled a rumor I had heard about the original idea for Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. And I love, too, when uh, jumping ahead to part four, I love that you mentioned in there that, because um, I remember hearing this a long time ago, um, that Paramount wanted to do a Star Trek Eddie Murphy movie. And, yeah, that's right. And, Eddie Murphy's a huge oh, fan of yeah. Star Trek. And, and, and they were Eddie Murphy and Star Trek were Paramount's you know, biggest assets at that point, too. Um, as interested as I wasn't seeing it, I'm glad it didn't happen because I just don't know if it would have worked. Um,
1: well, whatever it would have turned out to be, uh, you can thank the Golden Child for derailing the fact that he was in it or not in it. You know, there's a whole script written uh, with Eddie Murphy in it. And uh, at the 11th hour, Paramount decided that they didn't want to put both of their eggs in one basket uh, and release two Eddie Murphy movies that would compete against each other uh, during the Christmas season, you know, or at least, you know, summer and Christmas. They just d- didn't want to do that. So yeah. they, they scrapped it. And, and Nicholas Meyer had a month to write. The Star Trek 4 scripts because they, they came to him and they said, well, we need a brand new script and we're going into production in a month. Let's put something together. You know, Leonard Leonard Nimoy and Harv, uh, Harv Bennett have a big idea about saving the whales. Let's see what we could do.
0: And, and you know, it's, there was something about Star Trek 4 that I'd, somebody said, I can't remember as a critic or somebody that it's considered like the first environmental science fiction film or something. I can't remember what exactly it was because it dealt with you know, saving the whales, which I guess you know. Yeah, some-
1: well, you know, there are films like uh, it, it's one. It's probably the most pop, the most commercially successful yeah. uh, environmental sci-fi film. I yeah. Mean, you know, you could look to uh, you know, Silent Running by Douglas Trumbull. Yeah. Know, in Seventy-two. Yeah. You know, or you could look to uh, Damnation Alley, which oh. came out the same summer as Star Wars. <laughs> you know.
0: The cockroaches. Um, I just remember. Right. I just right? remember that as a kid seeing that in the theaters, going, "Oh my god."
1: Yeah, giant uh, scorpions that are pretty much like, you know, it goes back to, uh, you know, Journey to the Center of the Earth where you had, you know, giant iguanas with fins on their back attacking, you know, they're supposed to be Dimetrodon's you know.
0: Yeah. Now, outside of the movie The Fog, Fog was used in quite a few movies this year. In this first outtake, I asked Benjamin Lewis, the director and producer of Stoker Hills, what it was like working with Fog. Um, really quickly yeah. regarding the fog in the movie, um, how is it, is it easier now to work with fog or have the special effects teams created a, a, a newer type of fog that they use or is this sort of the same old, you know, it, it's in and then it's gone. Cause I, there's a lot of fog in your movie and I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah. man, I'm just waiting. I'm thinking about the old John Carpenter, uh, B-rolls from the fog, whether it's like, here's the fog up oh, now it's gone. So how was that?
2: exactly like that we would do it we it it, it will hang what happens again this is the kind of stuff where you go first we had this fog uh, machine that was like too little i'm like oh that's not gonna work you know we we need we need to really fog this thing and there's this thing called tube of death or something like that this long tube which takes which takes a while so you gotta get extra people from the from the practical effects to lay down that pipe the tube And then you, you know, of course, it has to be out of frame and everything, and then you fog it up as much as possible. Now you rehearse, everything is ready to go, and then you put as much fog as you can. But in the beginning, it's too foggy, you know, and it it has its own mind because, and depending on the wind and the stuff too, sometimes you will mess up what we got to redo the take. So it is not easy to shoot with, it's very difficult, but... When you get it, you, it's well worth it. So yep. I wanted that. that. That's what I was talking about. The atmosphere was very important. So sure. But it was extremely difficult still, I feel. And it's worth it. But again, I would allow double or triple time. So I'm under less pressure. <laughs> yeah.
0: I asked the same question to Fernando Gonzalez Gomez, the co-director of The Passenger. And he had an interesting experience working with Fog. I've had a few of my guests this year um, on the uh, on my podcast that have used fog in their movies and I'm going to ask you the same question I asked them. Uh, what was it like working with the fog in your film?
2: Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. Uh, we was shooting the exterior forest in a place called uh, Sierra de Urbasa at the north of Spain and it's a place where Every two days you have rainy day, okay? We spend a 13 days of shooting with totally clear and clean skies and no wind and no rain. Then probably the god of the cinema or something stay there with us because everything was smoothly talking about weather. Then when we use the um, the, the fog machines was totally calm and everything works because the the, the fog stay in the place, mm-hmm. waiting for us to shoot.
0: Wow, that is I, don't
2: great. I don't know why. I don't know why. But it was like that.
0: Well, maybe this it was weird. maybe it was John Carpenter helping you out since you're fans <laughs> <since> of your <fans laughs> his the thing. <laughs> so,
2: you know, helping help, help these guys at the north of Spain trying to do. Something
0: and and that's it, yes, yes, yes. Could be could be who knows. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Brendan Muldowney, the writer and director of The Cellar, joined me on the podcast to discuss his movie and we ended up talking about a little known actor he worked with. Boy, that film Pilgrimage. you have that young actor. He's gonna really go places, Tom Holland. I don't know if people have heard of him before, but you know, he's gonna do he's gonna do okay.
1: <laughs> I know, it's amazing.
2: Isn't it? He was the first one I cast as well. Um, because he wasn't, you know, Spider-Man at the time. He was uh Tom Tom Holland who'd done the impossible and there was a I oh, I forgot the name, there's an apocalyptic film as well. But I'd seen him in a few things and I thought he was brilliant. Like I, you know, you you can't in fact, I think the first meeting I ever had with Tom, I said to him, Tom, you're one of those lucky people who's, who you don't even have to do anything. You just, your face is just already on the screen. People are buying in and believing you. And I think that's true. I think he's just one of those lucky people that has a face that you're going to empathize with.
0: Now, for these next two outtakes, I have to give you a spoiler alert. They do concern the endings for the film's monstrous and hypochondriac. So if you don't want anything ruined for either of those films, you should jump ahead about 10 minutes or so. You have been warned. This next outtake was with my guest Chris Sivertson, the director of Monstrous. I asked him his thoughts when he first read about the surprise twist that occurs towards the end of the film. So regarding the ending of the film, when you were reading the script initially and you get to the part where Laura's talking to the social worker and the f- cell phone goes off, and it's telling us that she's in present day, for you as a filmmaker, what was going through your mind when you, re- when you read this reveal?
3: I was excited because it's like, okay, well, then there's license to be very um, playful in how this movie is made. Not that, I don't even know if playful is the right word, but more, uh, like, intuitive to where, you know, when a when movie, it, it's like we're dealing in uh, metaphor and whatnot, not just all hard reality. Uh, again, like, uh, you know, like, like a fairy tale. Um, it's just an opportunity to, like, really dive into the character's emotional state, you know, because ultimately what you realize is, okay, like we're kind of experiencing, we've been kind of experiencing uh, this world kind of through this character's eyes, you know, not necessarily in like a literal POV sense, but just how she in, has experienced the world. Um, and that, so it's just exciting to me because it, it added an extra layer of, you um, what we could do and really just dive into because we're you know literally kind of in a character's head for the whole time and and then like i said already knowing that it's going to be christina playing this role then it's like okay wow this is really a piece uh, a character study uh, about her um and it opens up all kinds of um new new opportunities than than if you're just dealing with you know straightforward reality not not i mean Movies never, I guess, really deal with straightforward reality, even documentaries. uh, There's always, you know, like an an artifice or like, a, you know, that's put upon them. Um, But this is just more of like a really direct way to to dive into um, this really kind of interesting character's head.
0: This final outtake is with Addison Hyman, the writer and director of the film Hypochondriac. I asked him about the final shot in his film, which was incredibly effective and emotional. I wanted to ask you about the final shot in the film Yeah, Um, it's a beautiful shot it's this static behind Will as he's sitting on this bench looking out over this beautiful cavern where did you shoot that by the way
4: Uh, we shot it in Malibu Um, oh wow
0: it's fantastic with the fog coming over the marine layers moving in and then Will's sitting there and then Luke joins him Uh and then we see the wolf sitting on the other side of, yeah. of, of will so what yeah. I wanted to ask is and I watched it a few times it looks as though the wolf is maybe touching will for a moment or it looks like there's some moment of interaction yeah. before they're all looking out and I wanted to ask yeah. what was the symbolism of that final scene
4: yeah, I mean, I mean, so like I said, like the wolf. Basically, I think what happens is the the wolf starts off as a as a child or just like this innocent creature and gets more warped and and monstrous when Will continues to ignore it. I always I always kind of talk about the way that happens in No Face and spread it Away. It's it's not like he is a bad person, but he gets into the bathhouse and he loses his mind because of the situation that he's in. And so, um, when when it's when he's finally able to embrace, when Will is finally able to put in the work, like um, Deborah Wilson, the final doctor is like are you willing to put in the work and he finally does the wolf is finally finally able to calm down so yeah in that final scene he he basically we kept it sta- static and wide because we could have done it closer but this But basically happens is uh will holds out his hand the wolf grabs it um they all look out as as the creature who's now a child shit like dangles his lives and then crosses it and then will, will puts his head on on uh devon's shoulder and then the credits start rolling. Um, and so, yeah, it's basically signifying that like the wolf is always going to be there. But if you acknowledge it and you can, and and you can work through it, you can come out the other side, even and live with it. It's possible to live with it, you know. But it takes work.
0: It's a beautiful shot, and and the score and everything. It, it's just, it, it, I really think it was a perfect way to end the film. And I think you also, made, the, I think you made the, the, the right decision too, because I think yeah. it works better on a static because you're following yeah. it and you're paying attention to it and you're watching it, and it's just, you know you're not you're not breaking it up by going to different cuts i think i think a standard movie would have been like okay you know medium shot or tight close you know close up of, of will and you know we're going to all that and i think the way you did it i think is the perfect um way to 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 wrap up your film i mean it was really fantastic
4: Thanks. and I honestly it's funny because it was an accident not the shot we plan the shot but what you see is was it was so we basically filmed it and we were waiting for that fog to at least come a little clear and it just wouldn't so we filmed that we filmed that uh, that shot at the very beginning and then went closer and closer and then all of a sudden we're about to break for lunch and Dustin's like oh my god look at the sky!" and it completely shifted and so we're like we have to redo our first shot and so we completely like ran like we're going into you know going into uh you know the you know pushing lunch by like the 12 minutes you are allowed to mm-hmm. um and and then we reset and that and that shot we reset the shot and the sky is so beautiful and then i'm about to yell cut and dustin gets my attention i'm like what he's like do not cut and i was like why and i look and the sun's setting wow and i was like holy shit and so we all just sit there and like let it linger and let it linger and that's why the credits were all over that because it was like The sun setting in the shot, it was honestly, it was like everybody was like, you know, with the film gods, like you can't ever plan a sunset because it's like, like you might get it, you might not, but you can never plan it. And the fact that it just like accidentally happens is honestly one of the best stories in filmmaking moments of my career so far.
0: (laughs) And it goes to show you how smart of a director you are by listening to your DP as well, because, you know, I'm sure there would be some directors out there. be like, no, this is how I'm going to do it. And this is how I see it. And it's my vision. And don't tell me. And you're like you know you're like hey you know what let's do it let's roll let's get it and i mean it pays off i he also mean
4: knows, he also knows- Way more than me about camera stuff, so I listen to him. <laughs> like, I, I, get, I learn from him and then make decisions based off learning from him. Like I didn't go to film school; I went to theater school, so I have to learn from the people who know what they're doing. Well, um, not that I know, but like in terms of the technical aspects. Of it, you know like, what? I, yeah,
0: I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, you're smart. You know, you surround yourself with people who know what they're doing. But right. I, 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 you know, I mean, your, your, your directing style is fantastic. I mean, the movie is so solid. Um, uh-huh. And for those, yeah. that, those that don't know Dustin, he shot uh, The Cold Open for Scare Package. When I saw that, I was like, wow, that's great. So, um, oh, to, yeah. You know, great. So, talk about that. So, do, does it, I mean, I, 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 your film's a horror movie, but it's, it's, it's a drama. I, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot going on in it. But having sure. someone who comes from the world of horror, uh, does that help you when, when shooting it?
4: Oh, of course, because it's—I mean, horror is all about tension and release, right? Um, so uh, basically, like for me, um, you know, I—it I, was all over the place. It was—I mean, in terms of like the tone, it was a drama, comedy, thriller, mystery, horror, because that's what an emotional breakdown and that's what a mental breakdown feels like. It's like everything, everything, everywhere, all at once, as it were. So like you're, you're feeling all these things, but, you know, having someone who's really good at tension and release, like that is, was like, honestly, one of the best, um, one of his best, um, I guess, qualities as it were, uh, another aspect of, that there's like Dustin's secret sauce that like, I found out like, uh, like a couple days in, is like, whenever we were running out of time, it would be like, um, it would be like, okay, um, we put the camera on Dustin's shoulder, and we do it in one. And that happened with uh, the the final scene in the car at the the at the cabin when he pulls away. That happened in the um, um, arcade where they had to have that final conversation. It happened several places. So it was like whenever we put the camera on Dustin's shoulder, he like became like this higher being, like you know, just imagine like beautiful like white eyes, just like angelic halo, and and, and just like. And, and and just like following him and i'm just like oh this is the secret sauce so whenever we were running out of time we would do that and it would be perfect I mean, it would like you'd spin gold and i was like that was our secret so when i get to work with him again if that ever happens i'm like you know what, dustin we're just doing it on we're just putting it on your shoulder and then it usually ends up being incredible so like i'm really glad that he worked like that he works that way, you know that there then like you know, I'm a very intuitive director and writer, like that's just how i how I work like I plan obviously, but then like I forget it all and I just go in the moment and then make decisions based off how i fuel in the moment because you know we don't have time for me to sit there and, and and deliberate for 45 minutes i need to make the decision now because we have 12 hours and we're shooting an indie movie yeah. um and very much the same way you know um so like you know we obviously did all our planning but like there's certain shots where we're just like no it has to be this or it has to be this not only that like oh it's going to put us back like 45 minutes but just like we're like oh no this is a better shot so we have our shot list but we also you know can work through it and compromise based on the day because some you just have to do that sometimes
0: that's going to wrap up the outtakes portion of the show. Now, if you're catching this on YouTube, I've included the links to all of the original podcasts that these guests appeared on. Now it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the year, the caretaker making a fool of himself. When, uh, when I do this podcast, it's generally me just sitting here by myself or sometimes joined by the dog. So basically, I'm just talking to myself. So you can imagine what it's like when the show goes off the rails. So here are some stupid moments of me trying to record the podcast. And, uh, well, this year I included a special outtake with me and one of my guests on the program as well. Cue the silly music. Uh, The Blu-ray release is going to be June 21st. In the cellar. (laughs) In the cellar? (laughs) What was that? In the cellar. In the meantime, if you'd like to reach out... Reek out? What? (laughs) Dumbass. If you'd like to reach out to me... (laughs) The synopsis is as follows. After a governor issues an executive order... Order? What is it with me in words lately?
4: But we also had this other thing. I think we'll run out of time. So maybe we'll re, re, re-meet because the next story might take like a a little longer. But um,
0: Yeah, you know what? Let's just do it. Why don't we just do it? Yeah. And then if it just disconnects, because sometimes Zoom likes to, to fake you out. It says you're going to lose time and then it just never does anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, go cool, ahead. So,
1: yeah.
4: Um, yeah, so basically, like, I, um, we had this, like, secret, like,
0: Oh, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> that couldn't have happened any worse. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. we're back. Yeah. If that wasn't the Zoom gods telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, oh, so, so go ahead. Oh, All right. Here we go. Fathom Events is producing this event, and it's going to be held, as I said, uh, from, does me no good when I scroll, and it doesn't scroll. <laughs> That's just stupid. Oh, I have a show to do, in a few, I have an interview to do in a few minutes here. <laughs> Yay! Hooray for time. Oh, I hope, I hope this, oh, I hope this computer just shuts down right now. That would be awesome. That would just be perfect. Hey, everybody, Welcome. Turn it into Will Farrell doing Harry Carey. <laughs> everybody. Hey well, next time you come in to the graveyard. Come on in everybody. Yeah. Alright, anyway. Oh my god. I'm a dope. Um, I just sometimes can't help but step right in it. Well, you know, sometimes these things happen, and uh, when I think of it, I save it and uh, decide to include it here on the end-of-year program. So I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, you're welcome. Well, that's going to wrap up the uh, Graveyard Show podcast for 2022. Now, uh, before I go, there are a few things that I need to acknowledge. Uh, As I've mentioned previously, I'm going to be concentrating more on the Graveyard Show's YouTube channel. And judging by the new subscribers and activity on the channel these last few months, many of you have been discovering the show as well. So if you're a podcast listener and you haven't subscribed to the GYS podcast on YouTube, I would highly suggest you do that. Not only can you find the podcast on YouTube, uh, you can also watch my video production, Catacombs of Horror, and uh, other videos such as BC's Video Vault, The Caretaker Presents, GYS Classic Podcasts, old horror promos, among other things. So um, I intend to expand content on the GYS podcast on YouTube in 2023. And you really don't want to miss that. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm giving up the podcasting business altogether. It just means I'm going to be devoting a lot more time to YouTube content. And it's probably going to be uh, larger wait times in between podcasts So I would love for you to join me On the GYS on YouTube Channel just look up Graveyard Show Podcast And you will find it Now I have my annual thank yous I need to do uh, First of all I want to thank All of my guests that joined me this year On the show uh, Benjamin Lewis, Emily Bennett And Justin Brooks Mickey Keating, David Weiner Alejandro Hidalgo Brandon Muldowney chris sivertson fernando gonzalez gomez ruzbe hidari and dana abraham addison hyman spider one and chrissy fox as well as damian leone and uh, andrew cooper it's great having you all on the show i want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with me uh, and uh, talk about your projects and uh, i hope all of you had a good time here on the program Next, I have to thank the folks over Katrina Wan PR for all of their help, emails, um, getting me uh, interviews, uh, rebooking when needed, <laughs> sending me links to screeners. Uh, I want to thank them. Uh, another great year working with them. So, thank you, everyone at Katrina Wan. And I also want to thank everyone at Falco Inc. as well. Uh, for helping book some uh, interviews and getting me screener links and uh, sending me info that I uh, that I need, so I want to thank everyone there as well. And of course, last but certainly not least, I have to thank Mrs. Caretaker for her love and support as always. Thank you, my darling. Um, I love you very much, and thank you as always for your support. And last but not least, all of you listening, watching, commenting, rating all of my productions. I have to thank you very much, whether you're doing that on uh, any of the podcasting sites or on YouTube. Um, I just want uh, to let you know uh, how appreciated it is by uh, by me. Uh, I know there's a ton of content out there, and I appreciate all of you taking the time uh, to join me here in my graveyard for this fourth year. Um, it's four years longer than I thought it was going to be on this second run. <laughs> um, I really do. I want to thank all of you for, for doing that. And uh, I, I, like I said, I know there's a ton of content out there. So the fact that you're finding this show, you're subscribing, you're engaging does mean everything to me. Um, like I say, the show's free. It's a hobby. I do it for fun. So to get engagement from all of you out there uh, does mean a lot to me. And I want to thank you for that, as well as um, if you're recommending the show to friends, uh, family, uh, fans of horror i want to thank you as well um i look forward to another great year in 2023 as well so uh thank you very much for for all of your support here on the podcast and if you're new to the show you've got a ton of content you can catch up on and please feel free to comment um and like you know that you know the deal Uh, I want to wish everyone out there a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a happy fill in the blank, whatever holiday you may be celebrating here in the month of December. I want to wish all of you Happy, Merry, uh, everything. So have uh, a great holiday season. Please be safe out there. I want to see everyone back here in 2023 for more great fun and content. Have an amazing holiday season, everyone. And I will see all of you again in 2023. And as you exit the graveyard, I would like to remind you to please lock the gate behind you. We wouldn't want anyone to get out. Happy New Year, everybody.